0: Welcome to The Backdrop, Untold Stories in Golf. I'm your host and co-founder of New Club Golf Society, Matt Considine. Today, we have a very special guest. As many of our members prepare for our final society-wide fixture of 2021, the Winter Meeting at Bandit Dunes, we thought we'd bring someone who knows a little bit about the place on to the show. Chris Kaiser joins us on The Backdrop. Chris and I cover some yardage in this one from his earliest memories, taking family vacations to the Southern coast of Oregon with his father, Mike making a stop along the way to do some eventual scouting to the newest project at the resort and perhaps the property's final course to be added new river dunes as someone who has been counting the days until abandoned, Having Chris on the show was super insightful, all the way from how they select what architect to put on what site to the magnitude and collective effort required to create a dream golf experience for the guests. Chris knows a lot about Bandon Dunes. Like so many of our guests have been this season, Chris is also an entrepreneur who just happens to really love the game of golf. We discuss the current impact of the golf industry, as well as the trends that have Chris most excited about what's coming next for the game. And while some of us in this country enjoy outdoor golf for the entirety of our year, some of us need to take our reps inside. And this year, there is no better way to make sure you're building in time to work on your game and kick back with your pals than join in the leagues at Five Iron Golf. With locations now in Baltimore, Chicago, Las Vegas, New York, Philadelphia, Pittsburgh, and D.C., five iron hosts these weekly competitions of the casual variety with contest prizes friendly banter and bragging rights on the line you can sign up as a team or a free agent for a seven week regular season each location's winners go on to compete in a national final broadcast live on twitch you can get more information over at fiveirongolf.com forward slash leagues now without further ado on to the show with chris kaiser Chris Kaiser, welcome to The Bag Drop. Thank you so much. It's great to be here. It's great to be with you. Last uh, we chatted was, might have been pre-pandemic. We were in a public coffee shop. We were with other human beings enjoying a latte. Uh, times, we, we, we've made it though. It feels like we're almost through it. <laughs> yeah, those, those were the days. That's a, a good um,
1: carrot of what we want to get back to. That was fun.
0: Well, we, we, we appreciate you coming on. I wanted to uh, chat with you as a prelude uh, to our final society-wide fixture of the year, which is our winter meeting at Bandon Dunes, a place you know a little bit about. And uh, and so I thought we'd just get right to it. We dive in uh, oh, yeah. right to the Big Daddy itself, uh, <laughs> Bandon Dunes. I, I wanted to know, what, what was your earliest memory of Bandon Dunes? We're about the same age, right, in the mid-30s um yeah so the the course being just slightly uh, right around that age itself what what is uh your earliest memory of Bandon Dunes yeah so i'm i'm 33 in terms of what's there now
1: my earliest memory um i think goes back to opening day on Bandon Dunes where my dad as he's done with every other course we've opened greeted every single golfer and foursome that day in the first tee shook their hand where are you from got to know them Um, So I was kind of buzzing around with a Coke and a Snickers. And while I knew it was a a big deal for my dad and our family at nine or 10 years old, obviously can't fully appreciate um, what that meant to him as an entrepreneur. Um, Years before that, he, my dad would would lead us with our mom. uh, I'm the youngest of four on trips on the Oregon coast. And little did I know, at least maybe my siblings did, he, these were scouting trips. So we would hike, we would check out beaches. Um, we had a great time as a family. That's something we liked to do, but he was on the hunt. So even before Bannon Dunes was built, I have memories of maybe being on the, the beach on the Southern Oregon coast, having a great family vacation. Fast forward again to 1999 when it
0: opened. Um, that was Bannon Dunes proper. Wow. Yeah. So those those early trips, I mean, he just rolled them into family time and, and there was some uh, scouting and business still being able to get done. Uh, That's
1: right. You know, he he is a family man. Um, As he was searching, there's a really funny quote that friends of my parents uh, got framed into my mom's office. And the line that my mom had was, I thought he just needed a hobby. So (laughs) he had had his initial career in the greeting card business and, was off, you know, looking for Lynx land. And so it was a fun hobby. We would hike, we would explore,
0: he would lead the charge and lo and behold, it led to Bannon Dunes. The, the, uh, the book dream golf is one of my all-time favorites. I've said multiple times on this podcast that it was a big inspiration at the, the time I read it. I think my first visit was 2013. And the, the time I read it, just the, the story of that, uh, that pursuit and, and really, um, silencing naysayers and and uh you know having a conviction to to a vision it really it really uh, inspired me and um the the one thing i wanted to ask you about related to that is um the new announcements with the usga you know i I think it's as i as i read dream golf there's so many references to the retail golfer Mm -hmm. you know that the um uh the average joe if you will who's you know looking for that heightened experience, you know, that was kind of who was always in mind with Bandon. but, but I, I saw your dad do an interview for, um, on the golf channel. Maybe it was just with the, the USGA announcement and having 13 majors come in the next 25 years. The first of which was this past year with the am I, 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 um, it just, it was such, it's so interesting to me that that was such a big deal to him. It seemed like to, to get the USGA. However, you know, it wasn't really built for, um, you know elite elite players at at that level I, I wanted to just ask you like how do those two things work together you know was it kind of serendipitous that it, 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 the usga ended up uh you know making it such a a permanent staple or or um you know what what are your thoughts on the kind of how that came to be and and what it means to your father and you
1: yeah no i I think, you know, look, we feel extremely fortunate and we, we can't dictate with an organization like USGA. Uh, Here's what we'd love to do. And then it happens. So it, I think it was very purposeful over many, many years. Um, my dad and Josh Lesnick for Kemper Sports and others really forging and establishing a strong relationship with Mike Davis and a lot of other USGA team members. Um, so it, it it was very purposeful, but but the news was still, Incredible for us. Um, you know, going back to the early days of Van and Dunes, my dad would come back and uh come back home to to where we live in Chicago. And he would talk about the US amateur as, you know, not not the pinnacle of golf in terms of what he was hoping to host, but he thought of it as a fifth major. Obviously, you know, he's he and we are totally geared towards amateur golf. So 20 plus years in to host the 2020 US amateur. Um was incredible. Then just you know follow that up soon thereafter with 13 events, you know, two more US amateurs, two more women's amateurs, a Walker Cup, which is just an unbelievable event, Curtis Cup, uh US junior boys and girls and four ball. Um, it was incredible. So 20 years in to have that kind of I guess what I'll say breakthrough or even like a new um a new accomplishment, something that new, it, it was incredibly exciting for us. Um, and having been there last year, it's a blast to watch these incredible golfers playing courses that we've all come to know and appreciate over however many trips we've made to Bandon
0: dunes. I, I used to feel that I was one of the few people, I, I knew that kind of the you know, clicks of, of golf groups that I've uh, gravitated to over the last decade, like, We'll all tune into something like the amateur, or if you know the junior am or the women's am is on. We'll we'll be watching. Um, I I don't think I realized how many other people out there are doing the same thing until abandoned because because during that time I was working with your guys reservation staff and (laughs) I just I knew that they you could barely get through. I mean, what what was it from a, a branding standpoint for? Uh, the resort to, to be on that level of of national um, attention for the kind of the first time in terms of, you know, competitive golf.
1: It, it was, it was huge. uh, And it has been huge for us. Um, I like to say we're kind of riding this tidal wave of um, the fact that the pandemic has fueled people to get outdoors and play golf. Then you layer in June 1, 2020, we opened the sheep ranch. And on top of that, we get multiple days of incredible coverage by NBC for the U.S. amateur watching amazing golfers out on our courses. Um, something that was very serendipitous, you know, speaking from our self-interest was the PGA Tour schedule. So I, I think the week before, and I could be wrong, was maybe one of the first events that was held after you know the pandemic had begun. So people were starved to watch golf right? The week before is the first PGA tour event. And then the week after that, here comes us amateur. And by the way, NBC within some ridiculous timeframe of six weeks, eight weeks took over the contract and just did an unbelievable job. So all those things together, yeah, we're, we're riding this wave. Um, of demand. And I know we're not unique in the golf industry, but the U S amateur and, and the coverage and the job that the, you know, the NBC team did, um, was huge. And it was a ton of fun to watch. We know the course as well, but to see them on TV, you know, sitting at
0: home in Chicago, wherever you are, it, it was really, really special. We've, uh, Why it was such a good tournament. It really was I mean, The golf was, was a class got a little conditions too. I remember. Uh, I wanted to ask one thing in particular. How did your dad feel about some of the pace of play out of those final groups? Because I know your dad. I think all you guys are notoriously, uh, you know, very brisk golfers. Is probably the <laughs> term. Was there? Was the Kaiser camp kind of like we got to do something about this? Did you guys go have some meetings with the USGA?
1: Brisk, brisk is an excellent word. There's plenty of stories I could tell uh, about my dad, particularly in particular, leading that charge. But yeah, we've we've all taken up that banner. Um, I, I don't. I don't think it bothered us because I think we were just in kind of a a blissful state of wow. You know, we're we're hosting the U.S. Amateur here, and though not ideal, I think we we tried not letting that uh, get to us or bother us, and instead just soak it in. But you're right. My my dad is certainly known for his brisk pace of play. Um, he likes to set that pace. I think, in particular, if he's at Band of Dunes or any of of our properties, he he likes to back up that reputation. I think.
0: <laughs> there's some, uh, you know, I had some operational just uh, curiosities for you because uh, it's such an undertaking um, yeah. to to operate what what you guys do, and I think that's there's so many things that leave me in awe when I visit uh, one of your properties, whether it be Sand Valley or Cabot or uh, or Bandon Bandon, and um, the the I'll, I'll start with just that magnitude. I, I'm I'm curious what can can you speak to the sheer magnitude of Bandon? And, you know, what what it's like to help run that operation. Um, how many, how many do you employ in a peak season? How do you house mm-hmm. them? You know, give us some insights into what that, what that is.
1: Yeah. So here we are in uh, Q4 2021. Um, we've got over 600 employees. Now there's some seasonality, but we're now a year round operation. There's maybe two weeks that are slower than typical in December, but otherwise demand has has filled in all other quarters that maybe previously were, were slow. Um, peak season, there's over 350 caddies. We Housing is a huge issue nationwide. We are on our way to housing over 200 employees uh, because there aren't great options and the market isn't solving that uh, that gap or that issue in the local markets. Um, so it's, it's Incredible. It's so much fun. There's so many amazing, talented people through all levels of the organization who are proud to call Bandon Dunes their home. And that's one of the the coolest pieces is the sense of pride that just about anybody who works there or caddies there takes. But David Kidd had a line on one of the no laying up tourist sauce videos last fall that that I thought was just awesome. And he he really tried to stress success here at Bandon Dunes was not a foregone conclusion. So it, it's easy, even for me, knowing what my dad went through, to show up. And yeah, of course, Lynx Golf, Bandon Dunes, people love it. Mm-hmm. At the time, people thought he was a lunatic. You know, he, he may as well have said, see you guys, I'm, I'm going to move to Mars. Um, that's that's dramatic. But you're, you you want to build a golf course where? You know, the Southern Coast is, is a wild part um, of the country. And I think that's part of what stirs your soul and kind of you know, stimulates your senses when you're there. Um, so for him, for him to do that was um, a a big, big risk. He was willing to take it and he's paved the way, you know, for us at Sand Valley, you know, Cabot Links, take your, take your pick. But the, just trying to stress that point, which David Kidd did really well and more eloquently than I could Of This was, this was not a, a no brainer slam dunk. This was a crazy move. And uh, aren't we all happy that, um, he went through that undertaking.
0: Yeah. That that was a great line. I I do remember him saying that and it does, it does feel that way. Now it's, it's easy to say like, Oh, it all makes sense, but, Mm -hmm. um, it's probably humbling to, to remember where it all started. Absolutely. It really is. You, You did touch on, uh, more of an abstract thing to talk about, which is that stimulation of the senses when you do get to to band and i uh i it's so interesting to me that you sit around country clubs across the country and you know you hear everything from uh, school teachers and ceos talk about Bandin in damn near a spiritual sense you know it it, it mm-hmm. really is this um american mecca but you know that that people go to and uh and i think that feeling i i've definitely, um, had it. And it's, it's what draws me back. I was wondering what that, when you hear that as, as the owners and operators of, of band and what, does that freak you out at all? I mean, is it, it, it one, how did it happen? And, and do you think it, it, um, how intentional is it that people describe it in that way? And, and, and does that, uh, that bar kind of yeah. add, add additional pressure? Uh, well, it, it's a
1: great point. I mean, Certainly, it's a big responsibility. We know people are, are making, uh, in many cases, most cases, long treks to get there. They've planned at this point 12 to 24 plus months out, right? They're away from family, from work. This is a big undertaking. So in that sense, yeah, there's pressure that, that we not only want, but need to deliver an incredible experience and and we really are intentional about what that guest experience is, you know, how much we charge, the sense of value, the sense of hospitality and being greeted. Um, But I think it goes back, you know, where did that come from to what my dad felt when he visited the property Uh, and there's the plaque that some of your group will get to see on Bandon Trails 14 where Shorty Dow who was responsible for overseeing the property for the, for the previous landowner before my dad bought it, um, took my dad, you know, for the first time where he could get, you know, the sweeping look at the property. So I I think the reason we all, we all feel that is because it's inherent to the area before we built a golf course. I think you and I would go out to that point 20 plus years ago and say, oh my, you know, my goodness, um, the ocean, the sand, the wind, the, you know, just all of those elements really get to you. So I think the fact that it, it had that impact on my dad, um, many, many years ago, helped him, helped him to know that he was on the right track. Uh, and he, if he felt that way, way and his soul felt stirred, you know, before there was golf, um, then if you put some really compelling golf courses on the ocean, uh, hopefully the same would be true for, for people who would visit after
0: that's a, that's a great way to put it. Soul soul stirring is is probably I, I've always just struggled to describe this this aspect of golf, but uh, soul stirring is, is a good way to put it. Um, we have a good amount of newbies coming on our our winter meeting trip uh, to Bandon. I was curious, just a best piece of advice for a first timer. <laughs> Um, well, I'm, I'm assuming
1: the agenda has been set, right? So we're, we're not talking about which course to play first or last.
0: That's or, right. None of, none of that. We already got all that on the books. Uh, dinners are set all, all is, all is well, but what, what in your mind, just the best way to enjoy it? Um, that's, that's tough because, because people take different approaches to trips like
1: this, I guess, you know, from my perspective, I would urge as many of your golfers, regardless of their handicap. Um, to, to one, take it easy on themselves, right. You make a big trip, but maybe you haven't been practicing or playing, you know, as often don't let that get to you. Um, I've had that feeling, you know, playing pebble beach, you know, for the first and only time, or you put this pressure on yourself to, okay, I gotta, I gotta shoot a record score or for me shoot in the seventies or for some, you know, break 90, whatever it is. And I would try to take that pressure off as much as possible. Um, at least for the first few days while you're warming up, you travel a long distance, play match, play, do a scramble, play the preserve, you know, whatever it is. So uh, that may be me giving an insight into my, my quality of game these days, but I I would, I would urge uh, you and everybody on your trip to try to remove that pressure, maybe by finding formats um, where people don't beat themselves up because they're not shooting, you know, what they're, what they're used to or what they wanted to shoot. Cause it's a big trip and, just want to make sure that doesn't get in the way of enjoying
0: it noted and put down. That is yeah. that is exceptional. That's advice for anywhere, but I, I especially know that feeling of really wanting to play well when you have a spe- something special in front of you. Uh That's, that's cool. great. And don't make me believe that you have two kids under three running multiple businesses and you're not working on your golf game. Come on, Chris. <laughs> that's right. You know, just, just a few hours a day, just got to grind. <laughs> just, make you know beat beat a couple hundred bucks of balls every week it's that's right i'm sure you have plenty of time oh yeah keeping the rust off no doubt uh sheep ranch i wanted to ask you about sheep ranch because i i uh i remember on my first trip hearing rumblings about it and i think there's a lot of folklore that surrounds the place um i didn't get to experience it where there was fire trucks and fire hoses but i i I know a lot of this stuff can kind of maybe be elevated over time or exaggerated. Mm -hmm. I'm an, I'm an Irishman that runs in my family. So I I know how that happens, but what I wanted to know from your perspective, the, the story of sheep ranch, you know um, can you kind of share what what you think like that, that journey has been to where it is now. And and this will be our first look for so many of us uh, and what we can now expect.
1: Yeah. It's such a fun one. And I guess as an aside, Being there for opening day, so I got in maybe two days beforehand and was there through opening day and a day or so after, I got to watch Phil Freeman, who's my dad's uh, partner at the Sheep Ranch. They co-founded Recycled Paper Greetings Together, former Amherst college roommates. And so I got to watch him as he kind of handed over what was his baby primarily, more so than my dad's, to the golfing public. Um, so for the years since roughly 2001 or so, when Tom Doak and Jim Urbina and team are working on Pacific dunes and my dad and Phil, I think had an opportunity to acquire the land that is now sheep branch. And they said, we, we've got to do that. So from again, early two thousands to June, 2020, it was Phil's private playground and, and he made it. Uh, not difficult on purpose, but there was some mystery to how do how do I get out there? You know, you you go into the town of Bandon and there's a store, and you walk in and you ask for a guy named Ralph and you give the secret handshake. So, so a lot of those, I'm being a little tongue-in-cheek, but a, a lot of that is um is fairly true. Uh so there there was that mystique about the property. And it was interesting, again, as an aside, to see Phil kind of go through that mental transition of handing over his baby. Um But going back to, again, when Tom Doak and Jim Urbino were working on Pacific Dunes, uh, the opportunity to acquire that land came up. Phil had an appetite for building something super unique. They couldn't quite figure out uh, at the time how to get 18 holes on the property that they own. And so they went with 13 greens and you can make your own, come up with your own routing on any given day. And that worked because we weren't sending people off on 10 minute increments. There were maybe on a given day, a handful of people or a group of 12 might quote, rent it out. Um, again, going through the, uh, the storefront in downtown Bandon and you'd, you'd make your own, you know, you make your own routing and people loved it. Cause that's, that's so unique and it's on an incredible site with greens designed by Tom Doke, Jim Rubina and team. So talk about a unique experience, but again, because it, it wasn't part of the resort experience until 2020, it was it was hard to come by so that's part of how the mystique built um into what it is but i'd be curious from your end what that mystique and mystery might be
0: (laughs) i mean i i'll leave my stories away because i i like yours sound (laughs) accurate but um it uh was there any talk of kind of that free form like almost formalizing that free form in a way so that you could you could book your uh, your tea time, but you would still play kind of that organic adventure golf. you know i think
1: I think from my dad's perspective, um to take on the project in a more formal way, um, it had to, we had to commit to something. we had to commit to a routing because I think in his words, he was talking about this recently. If you don't commit to what it is, then people kind of sense that you're a little wishy-washy and does that impact their experience. Um, so so that was that was part of the calculus. And luckily, Core Crenshaw are geniuses on on many respects. they were they were able to to crack the code and solve that puzzle of how you fit eighteen, not just eighteen holes, but eighteen great holes um, so that he with Phil would want to start fresh and build something brand new, which is now
0: the sheep branch in its current form. That's that's uh I I in and having what is it nine greens out on the uh the coastline. Yeah, over a mile
1: of coastline. And and one of the cool things because most of the coastline from old Mac um down to Bandon Dune 16 green is linear. So you play either to it or right alongside it at the third and 16th greens of sheep branch um, you get this huge kind of surging point out into the ocean that creates a V or an arrow pointing West. So holes like sheep branch six are high drama because, you know, you, you tee it up driver in hand, you get to decide how much of that, of that bluff you want to try to bite off. Um, and you might get a little greedy or you might kick yourself for being too timid. So that creates a, a fun dynamic that we didn't really have previously at the resort.
0: Well, I. I I'm always uh, astounded by great routings. We we have a cross country event here in Chicago tomorrow. It'll be a balmy 28 degrees when we tee off, but uh, just having to route that thing, you know, for our members to play and and having to make all these decisions. I I think I wish everybody would do it. I think everybody should have to reroute their local golf course to just give them appreciation of how hard it is to really find uh, great golf holes sometimes and. Um, and they do it really well, like you said, at a genius level. So I, we, we can't wait to see that. Yeah.
1: And, and my dad and Phil Freeman again, did, did apply some pressure over time to bill. We want as many greens and oceanside holes as you can get. We don't want to see a hundred yards of, you know, what they might call wasted space. This is over a mile of oceanfront property. Great opportunity. So I, Bill, by the end of uh, routing it, probably was a little tired about hearing, you know, maximize oceanfront greens, maximize <laughs> oceanfront holes, but it all worked out in the end. I,
0: I was with a, a collection of, um, I guess, band and insiders, or maybe, maybe just band and frequent flyers. They've seemed to make, make quite a few trips, uh, this group I was with recently, and they mentioned for the first time something called New River Dunes or the also known or formerly known maybe as the Band in Muni. Um I, I know nothing about it. I wanted to see is that a project, is that something that's in the works?
1: It is in the works. Um it is. So our, our current working name is New River Dunes. That will likely change. It had been the project formerly known as <laughs> Band and Muni. Um, so going back however many years now, you know, eight or so years plus my dad had acquired, uh, multiple parcels that he pieced together, probably 20 minutes south of the resort, maybe 10 or so minutes south of the town of Bandon. Um, and his, his vision, his concept and goal was to create 27 world-class holes. And the reason he called it the Muni is he, and he, his vision, his goal was having, uh, juniors, locals play on the nine holes that were not in play on any given day, the 18 hole resort um, routing would kind of alternate going back to that sheep branch concept. So there'd be a massive junior caddy program. Uh, again, it'd be a, in his mind, a huge benefit to the town all while giving more great golf to the avid traveling golfer who visits and Dunes in order to get the third nine for 27 holes. He had he was pursuing a land swap, uh, with the BLM. And after many years of negotiations and discussions and what he might call extraction from their part, um, he decided to walk away from the project. So walked away. It was about that time that sand Valley, um, popped up on our radar. And so we shifted gears and focused to sand Valley. So now I, I I can't remember the exact impetus, but we went back to, and muni new river and realize okay we love that muni concept and what it would do for juniors and locals playing for low rates but we do have enough land for 18 we think great holes so all of a sudden we were back to the races uh david Kidd is helping us um with the routing and getting through various levels of uh of approvals um so that is that is underway but with something like that the approval process um can be a little unpredictable so we,
0: we don't yet know if or when we might get approval to build it but we're working hard on it that's that's great i saw some pictures of it some brief google searches this morning and uh it looks pretty wild little um more s- s- severity to the dunes perhaps it, it it's wild
1: yeah uh, i think one of the more wild components which uh you picked up on was just a big dune that runs north south along the property, and then a kind of you know rumbling, tumbling sand dunes down as you move west, all on kind of an elevated plateau so that uh, you will get some some really nice ocean views. It's not on the water itself uh, right on the beach, but you will get ocean views. so there are parts of it that are wild um you know when we go out there we haven't cleared all the gores, all the trees that we would need to, it kind of has this prehistoric feel to it. Um, I think it's most comparable to maybe some of Pacific dunes, inland terrain, um, you know, one, two, 18, 16, 17, uh, some really cool shapes. And um,
0: yeah, you, you can imagine some pretty tasty golf holes out there. Yeah. When, it, when I saw david's name attached to it and then looked up a couple pictures i started i got some vibes of of mammoth if 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 possible and i know that's that's a course at San valley that has really grown on me every Mm -hmm. time i've played it um and to just really appreciate the Mm -hmm. what he's done there um i'm sure it's a very different project but i i definitely am excited to see that one come together we are too yeah
1: no i i think you're right on that um Little, not quite as much land, but he, he does width really well. And uh, we'll see what he comes up with that new river.
0: Cool. Uh, last couple of Bandon questions for you. Uh, I'm definitely not going to ask you to rank the courses. I think we all get suckered <laughs> into doing that. I mean, can, I just want to kind of move away from rankings in general, but I, I did want to ask you maybe one or two of your all-time favorite shots at Bandon. Hmm. Uh,
1: that is an excellent question. You know, I mentioned one of the newer shots that I've hit, but sheep branch number six. Again, that hero tee shot where you decide how much um to bite off from the tee. And it's just incredibly fun. I guess staying on sheep branch, uh, the ninth hole uh racing down towards the ocean is just a total blast. But I think if I had to pick one, it'd be the tee shot on sheep branch six
0: sheep ranch six wow the some the, the newest <laughs> and final abandoned uh the focus question for you just the overall experience i mean i i can't help but notice since my first visit that i keep uh, now that i've been around a good bit and gone to new resorts and um, even private clubs and public courses to some degree have emulated the abandoned experience or um you know this this frankly, the Kaiser method of, of how hospitality works and how uh, uh, kind of golf operations can, can move. And I, I, w- I wanted to know what that feels like to you guys and then and to see that happening uh, elsewhere in the world. And it, do you feel the need because of that to innovate even more or change things up moving forward? What, what, what is that like to see you know, the impact you guys have had on other Uh, golf course operations worldwide.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think, I think it's both yes and no. We're we're certainly always on the lookout for, I guess for, for starters, great new golf courses. Cause for us and our brand, it starts with golf, 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 and golf. And if we get that right, the rest of of our job in terms of taking care of people is going to be a lot easier, not to say it's, it's easy. Um, so we're always on the lookout for, Hey, there's a new Gil hands routing. Hey, there's a, you know, King Collins routing, um, trying to see what people are up to and what they're building. Um, but also in terms of just the guest experience of, you know, from arrival, great food and beverage offerings, you know, retail, good shuttle programs, the list goes on and on and on. So when we, when we travel, you know, we take a lot of notes and, and part of our process is traveling with other quote, retail golfers. And picking their brain, you know, we go to stream song. We had been going to stream song for maybe five years, every winter, my brother and I with some buddies. And what do you think? What did you like? What did you not like? So trying to get that sense of, of what people are, are drawn to is super important. And like I said, we're always on the look. Um, Pinehurst is doing a great job. I mentioned stream song. So th- there's certainly a handful that we pay maybe closer attention to than others. Um, at the same time, keeping it somewhat simple meaning let's stick to our core tenets of what is really important to our guests and we might get a handful of comments about i wish you had x i wish you had y but i think what my what my dad did so well was having a very narrow focus on who he was trying to appeal to so people told him you should you know you need to have golf carts who's going to who in america is going to play a walking only course he didn't do that um So it's that difficult balance of looking for what others are doing really well, but also not chasing something that's new or shiny or exciting on paper that doesn't really fit with our brand. And and that's tough. That's a challenge. And I think at Band of Dunes in particular, um, as a business owner and working with our team, um, how do you innovate while also recognizing what it is about the resort that made us the number one resort in America. So it's a challenge, but short answer, we're always looking for great ideas, um, things that maybe we could emulate.
0: The the focus on golf is uh, I I think obviously a key to, to the success and uh, making that first and foremost. I, I think the one thing I've realized is, is it's not, it's not a given either. You know, it's, it's a, it's a hard thing to get the golf right. And, um, I, I gosh, I just hope more, I hope more operators see it that way and, and really focus in hard on that experience. Cause it's, um, y- y- it's something you feel and, and, you know, and, and you guys, you know, w- with architects, I wanted, that was one question I had for you more generally with all the projects. And I know there's some new ones that, um, are, are on the docket and we'll be hearing about soon. what, T- tell me about the the selection of architects I- i'm very curious on this cuz you know david McLeod kid was a total unknown at the time um mm. y- you guys have really kind of i mean to be frank you've you've helped uh, the celebrity of many of these guys right to to have the numbers of folks that visit these properties and um and i i know tom doke and uh, and Crenshaw and Gil Hans would have been doing fine <laughs> elsewhere as well, but, but it definitely does add to their celebrity. And now they're, they're really household names of the, the golfer community. And, um, we, we seek them out and we go to, to their properties, but I, I wanted to understand a little bit about the business, um, selection of the, those people, because, you know, we've, we've had a lot of, uh, more upstart architects on this pod and I, I find them to be fascinating people and, and really have exciting new, uh, Ideas some of them and uh, and they, they're also you know doing good work elsewhere I mean is it at this point you know because it's so tr- uh, tried and true with with the names like and Crenshaw that you guys from a business standpoint how hard is it to to go with an upstart architect or go with somebody that maybe just doesn't have the pedigree of uh, a Tom Doke and you know, can you give us some insight to, to those decisions and um, and what goes into them? Yeah, you're right. It's certainly tough. And going back to Bandon Dunes, uh, you know,
1: how in the world did did my dad decide on David Kidd, uh, you know, at the time, yet unproven uh, golf designer at the age of 25 or or 26. So again, going back to the audacity of it, that one was interesting. Um, You know, we're always if it's a new venture, a new property, we're looking at the type of contours that we see, the shapes that we see, what we kind of in our mind's eye envision the course to want to be and which architect, which team from the portfolio of, of their work, you know, throughout the world would best fit the land. So so pairing those two things. I think once we've started a property like Sand Valley or going back to being dunes, we also want to make sure that, that all the experiences are different. Um, and, and I think that really gets at making sure we're not just playing our greatest hits, but when you play sand Valley and then you play mammoth dunes, you can have a heated debate over, which was your favorite, which was more fun and why, and hopefully when you make your trip in a few weeks to Bandon, you guys will play all the courses and then there'll be, it's the most fun debate to have. Cause you can't be wrong. Which is your favorite course? How would you rank them? Oh, I totally disagree. Your least favorite is my favorite. So that's our goal is making sure there's distinct golf courses and experiences that align with our brand of you're not hunting for lost golf balls. You're not getting totally beat up. Um, You know, you can play and and have a good time and making sure that they're, that they're different. Um, So that's an important part of our model. And like I said, we're always on the hunt for, whether it's architects we've worked with or ones we haven't worked with having feelers out for new projects. And and we do a lot of travel to see, you know, various architects work and, you know, grade them critically and talk amongst ourselves and see, okay, did that really impress us? Were we blown away? Can they do it better than maybe Core
0: Crenshaw or Tom Doak? So it's a fun process. It does sound like a fun process. You know, that, that just gave me an idea for a reality television show. I, that that is something I think that deserves to be on the Golf Channel or, or somewhere out there in the interwebs. I'm um, I'd be lying if I said we hadn't talked about it. But
1: <laughs> okay, uh, maybe I'll let you run with that
0: one. Oh no, I don't, I don't have time. But that does lead me to my next kind uh, of category of questions for you: is that entrepreneurship? I. And just meeting with you, Chris, and, and I know you have that uh, entrepreneurial spirit, and it's it's so fun for me to have people on the show that um, have put themselves out there in that way with with ideas, and and uh, you know some that are winners that we hear about in, in media, and some that are losers that we don't. And I just I just wanted to ask you um, about that and, and your journey in, in that. Uh, obviously, it's in your blood. Seems that. Uh, your, your family has that entrepreneurial spirit. If you didn't work in golf, I, w- I wanted to know what you'd be doing.
1: That is an excellent question. Um, so coming out of, of college, I was a teacher for two years, loved the experience, wanted to have an impact on, on other people's lives. And um, if I wasn't working in golf, it's possible I'd be in the education space or something along those lines. I think the reason I left was I, I had the bug and the itch to get into business and I ended up starting my own business at the time Um, if I wasn't in golf I may have spent some number of time as a consultant I really like getting um, getting to know a a business whether it's ours or anybody else's what the issues are how you solve those problems learn from customers on and on Um, and it's, it's fun to get exposure to a lot of different businesses one of the things I love about my job is I get to wear a lot of different hats and as an entrepreneur, you kind of have to. So consulting would would get you early exposure to a bunch of different industries. Um, long-term though, I'm not sure. I'm, I'm really glad that I'm working in the golf space. <laughs> what, what was that first business? Uh, the, the name of it was Vanguard Pro Shop. So again, I, I came out of two years of teaching at an all boys Jesuit school in Chicago and decided I wanted to get my foot in the door in our family business. So I took over the online store at band and dunes, which wasn't a a very big business at all. It was kind of the graveyard of the retail program. Uh, what, what didn't sell went on the online store. So I, I flipped that model and that was around the time Shopify and other, you know, e-commerce platforms were popping up and had some success and wondered, thought to myself, maybe I'm onto something. So I started a company um, that offered e-commerce solutions to private clubs, uh, public resorts, where we would kind of take care of the website. We would customize it for them. And there was roughly 50 or so vendors where customers could place an order. It would get one-off custom logoed and drop shipped. So I, I, I did that for two years. Uh, and then sold it to my business partner Rick Summers, right around the time San Valley was getting started because that felt like an opportunity I I couldn't pass up on.
0: Do do you uh and you might remember this, but I stumbled on Vanguard uh when I was starting new club because you know, our members are saying, yeah. Hey, hey, where's the merch? And I'm sitting mm-hmm. here as a club without real estate in a tiny two bed apartment thinking, well, uh I guess I'll order some things and started showing up. And my girlfriend at the time was looking at me cross-eyed, like, what are you doing? You you have stacks of polos in your and, and so I went on the interwebs and I found a Vanguard. And I I didn't know it was you until we, we sat down and you started it. And you know, what what a concept because I just know it's a it is a problem in the, the industry of uh inventory, right? And and holding inventory and then having to move that inventory and uh liquidated it at the end of the season. And, and it just to me seemed what a ripe opportunity for drop shipping. You know, we we started that way. We've moved away from it for a variety of reasons. But I'm curious how the business in your eyes uh, panned out. Was it a success, a failure? Does it I mean it's still going, I assume, um yeah. as it was sold off. But what, what do you think is the industry has changed, particularly with inventory challenges around COVID? What where was Vanguard? where's vanguard's spot and and uh, was it was it a success in your eyes
1: yeah i think it was a success it was a hugely valuable learning experience about business and entrepreneurship in general you know the, the whole hypothesis was okay i just went through this for a year i was all in full-time not 24 7 but really just kind of obsessed about making this work abandoned um most Private clubs, the head golf professionals in charge of retail, they don't have time to figure out which e-commerce platform they should use and shipping rates. And now I have to take pictures of the inventory, upload, you know, on and on and on. So really simplify things for the pro. I I think I'd see it as a success and that it still exists today. My business partner, you know, bought it for me. It really works for him because it fits into his vertical. Rick runs uh, PGA Magazine. Um, so a lot of the vendors now on Vanguard Pro Shop are vendors that advertise with him in his magazine, so it fits right into his vertical. I think I think where it, not that it failed, but um, what I missed going into it was the business model itself. So I was selling to the GM at Wingfoot or the head pro um, at Congressional, but that wasn't the end customer. The end customer was the member or the guest. And so there were a few too many layers and maybe a little too much that was complex about it. Um, and, and how learning that a high margin business regardless of what it does is a good business to be in. Um, that wasn't totally the case with, with a platform where you need high volume. So great learning experience. I'd see it as a success, but I'm glad I, um, switched gears when I did to be a part of the development of sand
0: Valley. Yeah. It's, it's a fascinating, uh, Business model that still I could just that world has changed so much too in, in the last couple of years and um, it will continue to. I'm curious for someone who has success in in any industry. I, I've really particularly found this with entrepreneurship that you know entrepreneurs seek out other entrepreneurs that have either success or perceived success and and it's been right. one of, one of the the joys of of honestly starting my own business is is having those conversations with people but when there's a lot that comes at someone that has had success in any industry. And I wanted to know how, how you, what's your process to decide what to focus on? You know, you, you can't do it all um, limited resources, no matter how large the organization, what, what what's your process to evaluate and de- decide, Hey, for the, for the, this next six months, we are going to focus on this. And we're not going to focus on these three or four other ideas. How, how do you, get to that point? How do you decide what you focus on?
1: It's, it's difficult. Um, it's difficult. I'm sure it is for, for anybody. And I'm kind of going through that right now, acutely given the growth in our business, the number of new projects, um, you know, new restaurant and rooms, et cetera, at Bannon Dunes, it's just a small example paired with now having two little ones at, at home. So what I'm, what I'm working on at this given moment is, is transitioning from being the doer. You know, I see an issue, dive in. I see an opportunity, jump in, saying yes to everything. As an entrepreneur in the early stages, I think is important. Like you are the engine that that makes the ship run. Um, and as you transition into, you know, a different stage of business, that doesn't become as sustainable. So that's just personally something I'm working through right now. And I think, you know, making sure you have a great team that you can rely on, delegate to, um, and have faith that they're going to execute, but also hold them accountable. Um, that that's where I'm where I'm trying to get. And luckily we have amazing team members across properties. Um but that that's my that's
0: my current challenge. That has me reflecting you know, on I, I I pause for thought there just to to think of my own uh challenges. But your your family has such a a, a track record now, and um, with you and your your brother both taking on those those new projects, I I want to know if, if you've identified you know characteristics or maybe even tactics that you guys em, uh, employ at at um, Dream Golf and and golf any of these projects that you think have separated you guys from, from other operators that, that is just like, a almost a, a superpower or a super strength. Is there something that you guys that you could share with us that, that you just feel like, man, we've really done this well.
1: Um, I, I think it all starts with identifying incredible sites and pairing them with amazing architects, you know, it sounds maybe it's a simple answer, but it's just it's just the truth. It all starts with the quality of the site, uh, ideally on sand. Initially on an ocean, but at Sand Valley, we found maybe doesn't have to with an incredible architect. So the, you know those are the three main ingredients that my dad has said many 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 times. Um, and if you do that right, you're, you're off to the races and in a in a good position. I think the other thing we we really try hard to do is to avoid what, what I like to call developing kind of an anywhere USA experience. Um, You go into an airport and any major hub and, oh, here's a chain restaurant. This looks and feels exactly like the one I went to in San Fran or Nashville or Florida. Um, And it can be easy to try to ride the wave of any given trend. But what we try to do is deviate from that and create a very unique sense of place. So hopefully if you go to Banned Dunes, or and or you visit sand valley versus cabot yes there are some common elements things that we've learned we want to apply as breast best practices everywhere but we want to make sure that you know the uniqueness of that identity that community uh, that character shines through through the food through the lodging certainly through maybe most importantly through the people um so that's that's a huge part of it so golf first making sure there's unique experiences and then I think also value is, is a, huge, a huge part of our business. Um, any consultant we would hire would tell us, guys, you have got to raise your rates uh, and you've got to build more rooms. And we want to make sure that people feel they are getting more than they're paying for. Because I think when that happens, you, you turn, not everybody, but you have a higher likelihood of turning somebody into a brand advocate. So that instead of having... You know, if we were what I say is if we were extractive and we charge far more than the experience was worth in the short term, that would feel great. Hey, we're making more money. But now they're not going to go, you know, be our best ambassador and and marketing effort. So it's going to cost a lot more to, to spend money on advertising and marketing and sales to get somebody brand new through the door. So instead, and I think my dad gets credit for this, you know, value based approach by value, I don't mean lower quality, but just truly getting more than you receive is really important to us. And it's important across the board for food and beverage, lodging, golf, because it just fuels that word of mouth marketing, which has been a huge part
0: of our success. Thanks for sharing that. I think there, there's some lessons for all of us in in, in that approach, uh, regardless of our, our business or the value we're trying to put out into the world. That's uh that's really thoughtful and inter- interesting to think about um one one last uh question on your on your developments and the development work uh, which of the projects that you can talk about i'm not gonna pry for those you can't yet uh but, but which which of the projects today right now has has chris Kaiser the most excited of of the new uh the new sites oh
1: tough question um I guess Right now, and there's less mystery to it because we're we're halfway through construction, but the lido um at Sand Valley, where we have twelve or thirteen holes with grass growing, has really got my attention um I haven't yet played it my my brother Michael uh, played once this October, so you know we've 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 studied it really closely um and being able to get out there and play it sometime next summer. I'm that—that's what's you know sticking with me almost every single day. I just can't wait to get out there. And in terms of maybe new experiences that we haven't yet built, um, there's a few. You know, we always have <laughs> irons in the fire because most projects don't happen for one reason or another. Um, you know, we, we we can't buy or lease the land at the right price, or there's no water or there's zoning approval issues, maybe on the West Coast. Um, So we always have a a solid handful that we're in various stages of evaluating as a project. Um, My brother has spearheaded Glenway, uh, Nine Hole Muni in Madison, that he renovated with the help of Brian Schneider from Tom Doak's Renaissance Golf, and a handful of other really, really talented designers. So we kind of think of that, we hope, as... The test or beta concept of doing some some cool stuff in the munis base. Um, so nothing concrete, honestly, that I could talk about. But it has us thinking, okay, where where could we you know sprinkle some of that magic through great architects doing work on local nine hole or other uni tracks um, outside of maybe
0: our core focus, which is you know dream golf uh, resorts and golf courses. Mm-hmm that that is a a keen interest of of mine as well on the on the muni side just seeing um you know the work happening in DC national links trust or yep. uh yeah i'm very been watching closely craig haltsom's an ambassador of our group and a uh a, a gentleman and a genius in his own right so i i've been watching that glenway project cool. as, as well and and i even locally you know i i think our our club kind of started on the the private side of things really you know, searching out the most compelling golf. And all of that was, not all, but a lot of that was on, on the private side for a variety of reasons, mostly financial. But I have seen, even prior to this, this kind of boom in, in golf, um, places like Schaumburg Golf Club that had a $9 million restoration or renovation that uh, has some Langford templates or mm. uh, a place like Mount Prospect that had about the same invested in, in their park district. And, and more that are starting to come out and get the funding and put, put, put things behind it. And I play these places. And, and honestly, Chris, I say this is a, a mega shift. Uh, th- this this could, could really change the game in a big, big way. Because um, as you probably know, majority of our our rounds are played within a certain proximity of our homes. And I, 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 I'm very excited about that. Um, just doing what we do with local local golf, local communities. And I don't think there's any stopping it unless we run, they run out of, of funding, but I, I, just, I really hope for Muni golf to really catch up to what has happened with destination golf and private golf in the last, you know, 10 to 15 years.
1: Yeah. I, I, I share that. Um, I share that hope and, and belief entirely. And, and I think, you know, over the last five years, I've seen a lot of examples Goat Hill Park uh, in California by John Ashworth and the Lynxville team, you know, Winter Park in Florida that Keith Reb and Riley Johns who've shaped for Core Crenshaw. Um, you know, th- those are two that maybe get more national attention, but there's a ton and, and you're right. That's where most people play their golf. And that's where a lot of focus should be. And I, I think there's, there's, you know, many different plays within the playbook that we employ or, or other, you know, great developers employ to make Muni golf, super fun and enticing to, um, not only avid golfers, but people who are maybe interested and should I try it? Should I not?
0: So that that's super exciting uh, for me. And I think for us, is there, is there anything else happening in the golf world that, uh, has piqued your interest or you think might deserve a little more attention than it's currently getting? Um, I, I think projects like, like the ones, you know, we were just
1: talking about deserve deserve more attention. Um, and, and there's maybe a long list of reasons, you know, that doesn't happen through the typical publications. Um, so that would probably be my number one. The other that we're seeing, which I'm really excited about and we want to get behind, um, is seeing all, all women's groups at same Valley and Bandon, um, in our next edition of the gym golf magazine, we've got an article on Kira Dixon from golf channel and Ashley Mayo and why Bannon's, you know, a great destination for women's buddies golf trip. Um, so that's really exciting for us to see, uh, cause they're, you know, they share the same passion, you know, for great golf and, and want to spend time together and connect. Um, so that, I think it's a big opportunity, obviously. Uh, and that's one that we want to support in any way
0: that we can. Here for that, we, we have been, uh, seeing the need for, um, that inclusion. It's just the representation, uh, for, for the four years that we've been doing our thing. So I, yeah, that, yeah. that's really cool to hear. And, and Ashley, for those listening that Ashley put out, Ashley Mayo put out a, uh, talk about tips to band and she wrote like a four pager that uh um, <laughs> you know it, it, it's good because it gives you some really detailed stuff about y- y- the best way to experience band i think but it doesn't take away any of the the kind of mystique to it or um she's just she's just a wonderful person uh, in the game and and i recommend that article for anybody i think it's uh we'll, we'll put it in show notes or something it's a, it's a great uh piece on on her experiences abandoned.
1: Yeah, she's great. And, and she knows the property well. So um, appreciate you. Appreciate you
0: doing that. Uh, so one last thing for you here, we got our questionnaire called the 19th soul. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, what, what we've done is adapted 35 questions from Marcel Proust. Uh, he's the French novelist, one of the most influential authors of the 20th century. His questions were attempting to reveal the truest nature of an individual. Our questions, Chris, are attempting to reveal the soul of the golfer. So now we're talking about Chris Kaiser, not not his golf courses he's developing. We're talking about Chris and his relationship to his golf game. So my question for you, Chris, is Are you ready for the 19th soul? I, I think so. Is this a speed round? Do you want fast answers or do you want reasons for the answers? You're a brisk golfer uh, by trade. So I, I imagine that we would. We we this is intended to be a brisk speed round. Or, or, or okay. you know, short answer, I guess. Not okay. Tell me to wrap it up if I, I <laughs> that's okay. Your I will say your brother, uh, he was the first, I think he was the first episode of our of our season this year. He kind of crushed this. He did he made you think with some of his responses. So the bar, <laughs> I, are you guys competitive at all? I mean, I know with my older brother, I am just a a psycho competitive person, but <laughs> how do you guys how are you in that regard? When when he signals to me that he's taking it seriously, then then I really get
1: competitive. And, and so I, I start at neutral, and if he revs up the competitive spirit, then I then I, I answer,
0: I fire with fire. <laughs> that is so true. The dynamics of of brothers, I I, uh, I that needs a study all its own. <laughs> well, uh, your answers are your own. So Chris, here we go, starting on the first tee. Number one, when were you the happiest? as a golfer?
1: Uh, We were at Fisher's Island two or three years ago. We finished a round and had 30 minutes to kill. We played two V two alternate shot. Each individual had to choose one club.
0: That was the most fun I've had. That is, that is, that is an Eagle to open, open this round. Very, that sounds like a very special place to be happy place to be. Number Mm -hmm. two, what's the scariest golf shot? The mid-range bunker shots. Mm-hmm. Very true. <laughs> this escapes many of us. Number three, what is your go-to order at the halfway house?
1: Hot dog with just about everything
0: and a Gatorade. Chicago dog. That's right. Uh, where's the best hot dog of, of any abandoned property?
1: Um, great. I'm going to go to the, to the dunes club in new Buffalo, Michigan.
0: Shout out, Woody. Shout That's out. Right. That's a great, you're very, very high rated dog. <laughs> Number four, what is the trait you most deplore in your own golf game? Um,
1: I'm a master of flubbing chips and on early, I guess two answers, early holes, the, uh, the dreaded I hate to say it, shanks might come out.
0: So those are the two. Number five, what is the quality you most look for in a playing partner? Um, Conversationalist who doesn't take their game too serious. Number six, what is the trait you most deplore in other people's golf games? Probably drastically slow play, typically tied to caring Far too much about their own individual score. Gotta love it. We're, we're making those. That'll be one of our T-shirts. We have pace of play awareness T-shirts <laughs> everywhere. Which, a quick aside, I you guys have a lot of good visionary ideas. Do you guys have any ideas around pace of play?
1: Uh, we <laughs> we have many ideas. We're we're always tinkering with it and focusing on it. I think the low hanging fruit is course setup. Where are the T's? Where are the pins? Um. And then having a caddy who knows what they're doing and leading the group, you just kind of intuitively, oh, well, they're up ahead of me. I'll, I'll follow. Um, so that's low-hanging fruit, but we're always studying it and
0: focusing on it. I, I knew that if that riddle is going to be solved ever in the game, that you guys will be on the hunt. Uh, back into our questionnaire. Num- number seven, what words or phrases do you most overuse on the golf course? probably that's good or nice shot <laughs> also helps pace number 8 what golfing talent would you most want to have
1: i'm going to hop on the on the distance game and just say blasting a driver you know 340 350 plus i uh, i've given up on distance to try to hit it straighter
0: so uh, yeah who, who doesn't want to you know that's that's an adrenaline pump when you bust it <laughs> out there Number nine, what is your most treasured golf possession?
1: This one, this one was pretty quick for me. Uh, when I was seven or eight, I think my dad heard that Michael Jordan was going to be playing the Dunes Club, and so he brought me over and I got an MJ signature on a Dunes Club scorecard, which I have to this day.
0: Wow, that's pretty. I was talking with the guy yesterday, there's so few people to see in person that aren't like, like maybe the queen of England and Michael Jordan or <laughs> like that, you know, because globally people just recognize the man. I mean, he, I, I saw him when I was 12 at Michael Jordan steakhouse smoking a cigar. And I just, I was like, it's stunned. I just couldn't believe he was there in front of me. <laughs> I'm with you big, big bulls and basketball fan. Uh, so that one meant a lot. Making the turn. Number 10, what's the one thing in your golf bag you need to throw out? I could probably go down the list. I, I've already thrown
1: out my three wood. Um, I got rid of it. So I, I was too tempted to hit it off the deck. I would top it every time. I got rid of it. No more temptation. What'd you replace it with? I didn't. I have a, a driver and a hybrid. Beautiful. You <laughs> rocking with 13 clubs now? Maybe 12.
0: Um, my brother has maybe 11, so we're both a little short club. So underutilized in the game. Just even even that those couple grams less on your back. Also, <laughs> like if you're if you're a carrier, oh, it's it does go a long way. You're right. It goes a long way. Number 11. What is your favorite occupation at the golf course? Uh, favorite occupation. What do, What do you mean by that? Sorry. It could be uh, that you just really admire people that do this job or it could be a job that you yourself enjoy doing oh that is a good question um it's got to be the greenskeeper i don't think
1: i could do it at all so props to props to all the greenskeepers out there
0: keeping things rolling true absolutely number 12 have you ever asked another golfer for their autograph
1: I asked Phil Mickelson for his autograph during a practice round of the British open at St. Andrews. I don't know the exact year, but right around 2000 ish. Did he, and you got that? Uh, you got signed. I, I think he did, but I need to talk to my, my cousin, Scott, who's a year or two older, um, who may have it. I've been unable to find it for many, many years. <laughs>
0: So I, I think Scott, his uh, the hairs on the back of his neck just stood up. He knows I'm onto him. Yeah, I don't know if you know this, but you know Phil Mickelson won the PGA Championship. This <laughs> is that right? Yes, yeah. that's, that's who it was. Yeah, he he yeah, he did. So that that could be worth, <laughs> that could be worth something, is what I'm saying. <laughs> Number thirteen. What historical golf figure do you most relate to? Um. <laughs> Maybe John
1: Vandeveld or Greg Norman. Um, I've had I've had a meltdown
0: or two over the years. Oh boy, that I feel I feel sorry for that answer because I, I do too. I'm a little embarrassed to say it. I debated not going there, but it's it's the truth. Uh, that, that there needs to be a, another pod for meltdown stories. <laughs> I can relate. I would contribute. I would contribute a lot to that uh, that pod. Yeah, my, my high school golf scorecards would, would prove that to be true. <laughs> Number 14, what is your greatest golf regret?
1: Um, thus far, two years ago, I got an invitation through our director of ops at St. Valley to play Cypress Point, and I had a, a work obligation, or family obligation, I said no, and something like that you may never get twice. So right now, that is number one. Oh man,
0: yeah, I tried to tell my wife that there are really only two or three golf courses that, if if the phone call comes in, I, I need a pass. I need, I need, I need to make it happen. Uh, that that would be one A. Yeah, I, I blew it. <laughs> number fifteen. What is your favorite golf book or golf movie?
1: I think it's got to be the book golf in the kingdom. Um, just so different from anything else I read. And I think kind of captured that mysterious awe and wonder of the game. When
0: you play in Scotland or Ireland or um, somewhere, somewhere like that, that's my favorite. One of my, I got to ask you, one of my favorite debates from that book is what golf, you've been over there. You've played yeah. a considerable amount of, of Scottish links golf. What course do you think Shivas Irons is really based at?
1: Oh, I'm I'm, at one point I either knew it or had an opinion,
0: and I'm I'm totally blanking. Do you have the answer? I don't have the answer because I thought for sure it was Crail, and then I I heard Michael Murphy himself say something that I it 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 made me believe it can't be Crail, it can't be. So now now I'm back on the hunt. I've heard of other suggestions as well, but just, a, just did, he, did he share the actual course or he or he just denied that it was Crail? no no he yeah he he uh talked about the specific hole that's mentioned in the book where the um where he's down in the cave uh, yeah <laughs> uh and I was like, wait, that's not it so I'll let you know I, it's one of these days maybe I'll get him on and see if we can
1: um, <laughs> yeah, Crail is what I would have said uh if I had remembered so we're
0: we're still on the hunt. Yeah. Number 16, what is your least favorite hole in all of golf? This is a tough one, but it still can kind of be fun.
1: Yeah, I don't I don't go there, but I've got an answer. So it might be the um the island green at, at TPC. Um it, it's fun to watch. I think if I were to play it, uh it would it would drop down my list, unless I hit
0: the green, but even still, I'll put that at the bottom. <laughs> Alice would like a word. <laughs> she, that is, uh,
1: <laughs> it is with all due respect.
0: Yes, yes, it's all due respect. It's it's a marvel. Well, my what my uh, wife marvels about that hole is the, is not the green or the shot or anything like there, but the the tree to the right. She wants to know well, what is the agronomy of that tree. How the heck? Is it, is it living on that little plot of land surrounded by flowers? It's huge. How
1: do they keep it alive? Are, and are we even sure that it is
0: alive? Is it a, a replica? Another mystery, my friend. We'll get, we'll get to the bottom <laughs> of that one too. Number 17, closing out here. If, uh, I, I, I don't pre-question. Do you listen to music on the golf course? I don't. Well, if, then I'll, I'll adapt this question for you. Yeah. If you had one song to listen to on your way to the golf course, for the rest of your life to get you in a right mental state oh, for man. your golf round, what is that song?
1: <laughs> oh shoot! Probably some kind of instrumental. Uh, you know, there's piano instrumental covers of Radiohead or something like that. Something something soothing going into the golf environment might be it. I I, I typically don't listen to music on the course, but obviously, a handful of time with buddies something about jam band music. Cause it's just easy and kind of blends right into the surrounds, whether it's, you know, Grateful Dead or Dave Matthews, not that they're my favorite, but out on the
0: course, um, they're pretty good. I like that. If a, uh, does, is there a particular song that comes to mind? Of I'm failing you today, Matt. I'm failing you. I don't have one. That's okay. We do, we do something fun with this at the end. I'll, I'll, uh, I'll select for you. How's that? You've made enough decisions already. And our final question, uh, number 18, if you had a motto, maybe you do, what would it be? I I don't have a motto, but there are some
1: phrases that, you know, kind of like with new year's intentions, I might remind myself of. Um, One that stuck with me is, You know, happiness or contentment is when your thoughts, your words, and your deeds are aligned. And so that's something that I try to pursue is having thoughts,
0: words, deeds, all aligned. Chris, thank you for, you have completed the 19th soul. I think we (laughs) we achieved our goal. Thank you for coming on the show today. uh, sharing so much of your perspective on a very special place like Bandon. Uh, that'll be cool for our, our big group that's going out, uh, leaving here soon. And, uh, and just generally, golf in general, man, we're, we're blessed to have you and your brother and, and your father and so many uh, other people that work for you guys doing really awesome things in the game of golf. So I just wanted to thank you uh, for that.
1: Well, I, I appreciate you saying that, um, but we have you and your, and your group and other average golfers to thank. So
0: right back at you and hope you have an awesome time at Bannon in just a few weeks. Oh, we will. We will. We'll be looking forward to that six tee shot at Sheep Ranch.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Love it. Yeah.
0: Let me know what you think. Thanks, Chris. All right. Thanks a lot, Matt. Thanks so much for listening to the show this week. If you are not a subscriber, please do subscribe wherever you listen to your podcast. If you want to follow us on Twitter or Instagram, we're at New Club Golf. This episode was produced by Mark Caldwell with research assistance by Jim Sitar. The backdrop is supported by members of New Club Golf Society and our official partners.